0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All
1: right, thank you, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. Now, we know the president lied to you about the worst medical crisis in our generation. We know he encouraged you to do things that were bad for your health, ignoring masks, going to crowded rallies, defying governors who told you the truth about the need to socially distance and shut down for a while. Remaining question is, why would he do this? Now, early on, when it was mostly blue states and minorities getting sick in the largest numbers in the biggest cities, remember that? Well, that seemed to be out of convenience for Trump, right? About playing to party. I know that sounds wicked, but after what you just heard on this tape, can you really say it's not a legitimate question about whether he would do that, whether he would sacrifice people for his own benefit? Really? Didn't he already tell you he would do that in not so many words? But I don't know about that theory, that it was just about the blue states, because he kept up the same Perfidy, the faithlessness with his own base. In fact, I argue to you, the facts make it clear he did use supporters more dirty because he kept telling you especially to go where you could get sick and not wear a mask. Talk about eating your own. He wanted to con us about COVID so badly. He put the people counting on him most in the worst position. So what's the real lesson? He not only won't admit his breach of duty, right? He never does. Remember, this is the man who told you Christians he's never had to ask God for forgiveness. Not only did he do it before, not only does he refuse to admit that it was wrong, but he is continuing it tonight in Michigan. This is what's happening with cases in Michigan. Do you see the chart? Pretty simple picture. But what did he do in Michigan? Take a look at the crowd. Take a look. Take a look. Oh, they're outside, sure. But they're all sandwiched together. Masks optional. But remember, he's told them so many times that masks are weakness. Yeah, he said it's your patriotic duty. Once, right? The only one in that crowd at a safe distance from exposure for sure, guess who? Trump. Clearly, he favors his own feelings over the fates of his supporters. Otherwise, would he really hold such a reckless event? And not a word from him about how risky this is to not have a mask on. Not one. Instead, you know what he told them? We're rounding the turn on the virus. Put that graph up again. This is what he told them in Michigan. We're rounding the turn. Does this look like rounding the turn? to you? Do you see any kind of curve there other than up? The CDC says more than 25,000 of us could die from COVID in the next 23 days. Doesn't have to be that. What if he went on like a mask tour? They give out MAGA masks, why not say wear them? Everybody, everywhere, I'm not holding any more rallies. In fact, I'm not holding any rallies until the numbers come down. Not doing it. Wear those masks. Let's get the numbers down in the red states more than the blue states ever could. And I'm all over testing. I'm sorry that kids aren't back in school. I'm going to do everything to get them back in there. It's wrong for kids not to be in school. But remember his rationale. He can't tell you the truth about the virus or even how to reduce your risk because that would cause panic. And that's not leadership.
2: America will prevail over the China virus. As Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. As the British government advised the British people in the face of World War II, keep calm and carry on. That's what I did. This whack job that wrote the book, he said, well, Trump knew a little bit. They wanted me to come out and scream, people are dying, we die. No, no, we did it just the right way. We have to be calm, we don't want to be crazed lunatics.
1: My brothers and sisters who lost people, who've had sick people in their family, who worried about their kids, who had this themselves, who have the long haul syndromes. You think he did it exactly right? 200,000 dead and he's given himself a pat on the back? You want to call Woodward a kook, fine. Why'd you give him so many hours of access, twice? He didn't say you knew things, Mr. President. You did. You said it in your loud, obvious voice. You said it. You told them it was worse than the flu. You told them you knew the numbers were more. You told them it was a deadly thing. You told them you knew it wasn't just old people, it was kids. You said it, not Woodward. That's the fact. FDR, Churchill, I used them last night as points of contrast. They did nothing like what Trump did. If they did what he did, we'd probably all be speaking German today. They said, here's the truth. It's gonna be bad. We have to get in the fight. We're gonna bleed. Of course, they said it more eloquently. That's why they're great leaders, and I'm somebody who repeats their thoughts. But he's the leader. I have to be calm. That's leadership this is what he thinks is non panic causing leadership. Listen.
2: If Biden wins, the mob wins. If Biden wins, the rioters, anarchists, arsonists and flag burners win. The left wants to get rid of me so they can come after you.
1: Non panic inducing. Here come the crazy blacks and their kooky anarchist white friends for the suburbs, led by a monster named Cory Booker, blue-eyed assassin. That's not panic-inducing. The illegals coming for your women, selling drugs and killing. Islam hates us. We must keep them out of the country. That's not panic-inducing. That's calm leadership. Why does this all matter? Why does it matter more than anything else that we've learned about this president? I'll tell you why. Because it is right to say that those who support this president often do so despite how he is as a person. That there are bigger concerns, feelings of humiliation and disaffection and disenfranchisement, and you are right. There is an intractable class structure in this country that is horrible for whites and blacks. There are unique problems of color, no questioning it. They are systemic, means they happen everywhere. How we hire, how we lend, how we educate, but it happens with whites too. And you have all these people looking down on you and saying, this is as good as you get. And in fact, what you have, you may have to give it to somebody else and you may have to pay more and it makes you angry. And then they seem to not respect you so it's not about Trump for you. It's about him being angry at the same people you are. But here's the thing, is he doing you right? Is he the right agent for you? His wife said, we deserve complete honesty from a president. And she's right, but he has never given you that. Honesty with, as, with Trump is as real as a jackalope. That's a jackalope. They don't exist, I'm told even about something that has killed so many of us, compromised too many of our kids. He lied to you. It matters because not only did he lie, but he defied the best guidance with the people that should matter the most to him. He encouraged you, his own supporters, to put yourselves at risk and your families. It matters because he kept those around him in power, quiet, or echoing the same poison. They made choices. They made choices. The people around him that didn't tell the truth and kept people quiet who wanted to, they should be exposed. I know that's a dangerous thing to say. Believe me, I know the price. But there is no reason to do this job otherwise. I will not be remembered as somebody who watched this go on and didn't say anything about it. You deserve the truth, especially if he gets another term. He's got to do this job better than the way he's doing it right now. How will you be remembered? Will you call these things out? Case in point about why this matters, what he did? Echo effect. Florida, you think it's a coincidence that the governor there was allegedly saying there was no COVID there? When there was, that he hid the truth from people, hid the numbers from people there? And punish those who tried to reveal it? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Same time, same game. Doing what the boss does. Confronted with the reality of the contagion, contagion, the man elected to fight it. What does he say to you? It is what it is. Now that expression was very common where he and I grew up. It is what it is. It means there's nothing you can do. Broke my ankle. Season's over. I'm sad. But it is what it is. Can't do anything about it. The response to a pandemic is what you make it. You can do something about it. Trump chose to lie to you and to make less of it. Not only was it bad faith, it was bad strategy. You can't lie about a virus and make it less contagious. And on top of it, he did not even have the brains to tell you it's not a big deal, but do everything you can, at least give him a chance, give himself a chance to be right give you a chance, believe in you enough, care about you enough to at least give his supporters a chance to be safe instead of encouraging you to do the worst for yourselves. Wow. Double dumb, but singularly sinister. Now, major Trump zones have suffered. And our kids, the people he must protect, Most are not in school in too many places. And that is wrong. And it is true at least partly because he failed to muster the testing and guidance they did need and do need. It is not what it is. But he is who he is. He is a liar who would rather expose you to health risk than expose himself to political risk. And I don't care who comes after me and about what. It is true. Time and time again, seven days out of seven. And he is on tape doing it here. And he did it about what it matters most. Is he trying to clear it up instead of owning it? Of course. Here's the new defense.
3: I didn't lie. What I said is we have to be calm, we can't be panicked.
1: I don't wanna jump up and down and start screaming death, death, because that's not what it's about. First of all, that's not what you did. What you did was you told one person on tape that you knew it was bad. You knew what it was. And then in public, you said it was not those things. What you did was in private, you would not private. You were talking to a freaking reporter. What do you think was going to happen? That's why they wanted him to keep it quiet until after the election. Nope. You said, I know it's bad. And then you told people in public, it's not that bad. Go to the places they're telling you not to go. Go without a mask. I do not know how any of you can be okay with this because it is not okay. And remember, he doesn't even believe the theory of his own case. Got to be calm. But the black man's coming. Helter skelter. Got to be calm. But Islam hates us. Got to be calm. But don't vote. Don't vote by mail. Oh, it's going to be a fraud. The election's going to be rigged. Am I calm enough? Illegal immigrants. We love immigrants, but they're coming. They're going to rape you. They're going to rape you. They're going to sell you drugs. They're going to kill you like these two, three people I found. Is that calm? This is about life and death, not left and right. It can't be bad to make people panic, but good to let them die. Giving people information is not panic. Trusting in the American people enough to let them do something with the information that affects them. There's nothing wrong with that. He wants to play whataboutism and blame Biden. Biden's not the president. Bob Woodward, this isn't about him. You said it on the tape. Look at the excuses. If Bob
2: Woodward thought what I said was bad then he should have immediately, right after I said it, gone out to the authorities so they can prepare and let him know.
1: You believe his BS? You're going to put it on the reporter? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You say something because your arrogance makes you think that you can charm him anyway. You can get away with anything. You could go in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. One of your own with a red hat on. And it'd be okay. But it's on him. It's not on you. It's not on you to tell the truth. Huh? He should have told the officials. Oh, because they would have spoke up, right? How'd that work out for Fauci when he told people the obvious about wearing masks? Remember what you said? Fauci has been wrong about a lot of things. Oh, Fauci. I don't know about Fauci. And then you had all your boys, the puppets, the trumpets go out there and you get his family. His family's getting threats because of you because he tried to tell people things that you didn't want them to. That's what Woodward should have done. He should have told people that you weren't telling the truth. That's not your job. I thought you alone could fix everything. You alone certainly did make it worse. He didn't turn you in for your lies, so it was okay to keep lying. 200,000 dead and you're telling people not to wear masks. You say nothing about it tonight. In a state where the curve is going like this, that's a curve. It's called a spike. Up is where it's going. Curve means kind of two different directions. But you know what? He does make one good point. Where is everybody else? Where are the voices out there who call themselves pro-life? Got to protect it. It's what my faith teaches us. The ones elected to keep checks and balances on the president, country first, party second. Many GOP senators, conservative, moderate, Collins, Ernst, they won't answer questions. They won't answer any questions about the Woodward tapes. Cornyn said he wouldn't comment since he didn't have any confidence in the reporting. It is a tape, brother. The president doesn't deny the tape. It's the media's fault. Others, like Senator Perdue and Tillis, they defended Trump. 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 Along with the big kahuna himself, Mitch McConnell. Listen to this.
3: Well, I haven't read the Woodward book, but we all knew it was dangerous. The president knew it was dangerous, and I think took positive steps very early on uh, for which he should be applauded, not criticized.
1: You wonder why we're in the worst shape in the world. That is the face of the response to the pandemic. More so than Trump, you know why? You know Trump's not up to the job by himself. You know he's relying on the people around him. You know that an old horse like that was supposed to be able to guide him. They knew, they knew what he knew. These weren't top secret briefings. They knew what he knew and they knew when he knew it. And now you know what the president knew and when he knew it. And you know all of them didn't tell you the damn truth and it made people sick and it allowed people to die. So how do we figure this out? Well, here's what we do. We listen. It's time to listen. We are just outside this election. We have former National Security Advisor and Ambassador John Bolton. You know, he left his job exactly one year ago today. Talk about an anniversary, I'm sure he likes marking. He is the author of The Room Where It Happened. Let's go to break and come back and get his take on what the Woodward tape reflects, the reality of it, the context of it, and what he makes of what it means for you going forward. Next. The president calls legend Bob Woodward names, blames him for his own yapping on a recorded interview. Trump was told about coronavirus, told how bad it could be, told what we needed to do, and lied to you about it. He was dangerously close with authoritarians like Kim Jong-un in ways that don't make sense and certainly didn't yield the results, promised. It lines up with another book by someone who was on the inside. That book is The Room Where It Happened, a White House Memoir. The author is Trump's own former national security advisor, Ambassador John Bolton. Welcome to Prime Time. Well, thanks for having me, glad to be here. What do you make of what the president said to Woodward and his refusal to acknowledge that he did anything wrong?
3: look this is a very serious political problem for the president which is what he understands it to be it's not a matter of truth or falsity here for him this is an existential threat to his reelection which i think explains uh the vehemence of his response to it Uh, i think it's just absolutely striking how clear he is on these tapes to woodward of his appreciation for how dangerous the coronavirus was uh, compared to what he was saying publicly at the time, what his senior uh, advisors and cabinet officials were saying at the time, uh, there's no way you can reconcile those things. Mm-hmm. And, and that coming out of his own mouth, uh, I, think, I think this could, could be uh, th- nearly the, the point where the, the campaign ends.
1: So, you know, when I originally read your book, it kind of gave me the ability to give the president a break because of how you detail his just incurious nature that the man doesn't want to read. He didn't want to listen. So I gave him the benefit of, uh, you know, that inadequacy so that he probably didn't know what was going on with coronavirus. Now I know he did. What I don't get is this part, Ambassador. Why would he do his own people worst? Why would he tell his own supporters not to wear a mask and to go to places
3: where they'd be exposed to the virus when he knew that the virus could get them? because because I think he was driven by his own logic. Uh, my reaction, of course, I was out of the government at this point in January, February, was that, uh, that he was simply resisting information he didn't want to hear. He didn't want to hear bad things about Xi Jinping, about the extent of the disease in China, about, most importantly, the potential negative impact on the U.S. economy. His Ticket to reelection. So once you're saying it's not a problem, we don't have to worry about it, you then can't tell people wear masks, do social distancing, because it sounds like there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And I think he couldn't figure out how to get out of that. That that's what drove him in that direction. But what the Woodward book does is make it much more serious. Because if he did know and he did it anyway, Uh, You just simply can't reconcile that with with the qualities, the character you need in a president of the United States.
1: And, you know, your assessment that the NSC told him and he didn't do anything about risk to the country. I don't understand. Again, you know, you spent so much time around him and getting a sense of what he does or doesn't do in terms of cogitation thinking. Why did he think it was a good bet to deny the pandemic when doing that almost assured that it would be extended and therefore do more harm to the economy, whereas, what is every first-term president dying for? A crisis, right? Not to be callous, but to put his arm around it and say, "Look, I own this. I did everything we could. reelect me."
3: Look, I think uh, Trump believes that if he talks about uh, a particular threat or a particular crisis uh, in ways that, that he thinks benefit him that he can get away with it endlessly i I saw this in uh, situation after situation don't talk about north korea's ballistic missile test call them artillery call them something else Uh, they won't be in the news and therefore they won't be a threat Mm -hmm. how you characterize foreign leaders same kind of approach i think he just didn't understand the coronavirus wasn't reading the memos and that they were not, the, the, the disease was not subject to that same kind of treatment. As I say, once, once that logic drives him down a particular path, it's very hard to correct from that point.
1: And in terms of how you saw this extended, um, the idea that uh, you had witnessed this president not wanting things discussed and then that's it. You want to keep your job, you have to stay there. Um, for instance, the other story in the headlines right now from the whistleblower, the whistleblower saying, hey, Wolf and Cuccinelli told me no more briefings of Congress uh, about Russian interference. And you've got to taper what you say about Russian intelligence, Russian interference intel to what the president wants to hear. Do you believe that could have happened?
3: Uh, I, I believe it could have happened. And uh, I, I think people were self-censoring to a certain extent. uh, And I think that's a real problem. Look, you you can receive intelligence from the intelligence community, disagree with it, disagree with the implications of what the policy is, uh, disagree with what the priorities ought to be in terms of gathering new intelligence. These are all legitimate subjects to discuss. It's when you close your mind to what's coming in entirely and just refuse to receive it, that you're in real trouble. This is a Trump characteristic. Uh, and it carries over as well to what he says publicly. He made a very interesting remark on the coronavirus. He said that not just that he didn't want to cause panic, but that he was a cheerleader and he wanted to keep people's spirits up. I, I, I think that's a, a telling uh, aspect of his character, but it's not what a president is. He's a leader not a cheerleader. The American people are not children. They're adults. And the way a leader reacts is you tell them the truth. If you don't think the American people can take the truth, you're saying we've got a very serious problem with our system of of government. And you mentioned at the beginning, Roosevelt, Churchill, really great leaders uh, who can inspire people, also tell them the truth that's just not part of the trump uh, approach cheerleader it's also a, a function of what he wants to
1: cheer on i mean you know he's basically pitching uh, you know race invasions right now and saying that this election is going to be rigged so i don't know exactly what he's cheering for uh more to your bailiwick uh, you say that in terms of this kind of displacement of reality for his own advantage that when it came to the mbs situation Uh, Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia. Um, Woodward says that Trump was bragging about saving MBS's ass. And you said that Trump was sometimes uh, uh, defending Saudi Arabia for personal reasons of distraction. How so?
3: Well, at the time that uh, Trump made the statement uh, supporting Saudi Arabia happened to coincide with a lot of press reporting about Ivanka Trump's use of personal email, uh, and as he often does, I think he hoped that his statement would cancel that out, and, and he was right about it by, by diverting people's attention to to MBS. Mm. Uh, I do think there's a, there's a legitimate argument here about the American interest dealing with Saudi Arabia. That, that wasn't necessarily at the top of his agenda though.
1: Um, just to be clear, when I was talking about the NSC uh, before, not to confuse people, the National Security Council, you say in the book that the NSC saw the threat from COVID. Uh, I, you know, I don't want people to confuse. Well, but Bolton left. Yeah. But the NSC, you understand, saw the threat. It wasn't that they missed it.
3: No, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, it's been reported in, in a number of sources. The New York Times did a long tick tock on the government's reaction to COVID. And, and they say in this long article in early january staff at the nsc and elsewhere in the government were raising the red flag about Mm -hmm. that the first page of woodward's book uh, talks about how my successor and his deputy were in seeing the president at the end of january people knew what was going on the problem was not failure to understand this was a threat the problem was in the oval office right and the president's empty chair. He did not want to deal with this.
1: They got things wrong early on, even at the task force level. But once they figured out they were wrong, they wanted to make a shift. It was the president who didn't. And now we see that uh, on the tapes. Uh, A few more things for you, uh, Ambassador, if you would. Uh, First, uh, Woodward says that Mattis, General Mattis, said that the president is dangerous and unfit. Um, Coates. Uh, former uh, official Coates, doesn't know the difference between the truth and a lie, he said about the president. And he said, and you said in your own book that you uh, now Secretary of State Pompeo and obviously Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, that you were all
3: worried. Worried about what? Well, worried about the way the president conducted affairs with foreign governments in in many cases, uh, in my view, coming close to, if not crossing the line on obstruction of justice, interfering in uh, prosecutions and investigations in this country. Uh, It was very hard for people and remains very hard for people in the administration uh, uh, to know how to handle the president in these cases. Everybody had a different take on it, but there's never been an administration, uh, in contemporary history anyway, where so many people went in hoping to serve the country Mm -hmm. and just finally Uh, came to a realization they they couldn't live with their own conscience and continue to do it. The country suffers when that happens.
1: Here is the criticism that always assures I don't get the first interview with a book. Why did you wait? If you saw these things when you were in office, especially you, you're such a veteran. You're so savvy. You've been at the highest level so many times. If you knew that this wasn't just aberrant, but it was dangerous, why save it for a book? Why not say it when you were there and step down?
3: Well, look. The question of how long you you stay in a job like this uh, is complex. Everybody makes his own calculation. Uh, I felt that uh, that I could prevent worse things from happening. You, you know, you can call that a rationalization. It may well be. I, I finally left when I couldn't stand it anymore. Uh, why did I put it in a book? Because I felt it would take 500 pages to detail it, fact by well, I'm fact. I'm okay with you writing the book. It's, it's good dead. that you
1: wrote the book. But do you regret? not saying what's in the book on a show like this or 10 shows like this, when you were there and you were already sure, couldn't have taken you
3: that long to figure out that you shouldn't be there anymore? Well, uh, you know, I could have I left after 30 days too, and I would have I had uh, one opportunity to make that point. I, I felt, and I, I continue to believe, and there are other people who were in the government, some are still in the government, trying to do the right thing for the country, which is what we all owe our real loyalty to, the Constitution, not the individual in the office. Uh, and I think, uh, look, different, different people are in different situations, and I, I don't criticize any of the others. I've had disagreements with people like Mattis, but I've never doubted he acted in a patriotic fashion. He left after two years. Uh, you know, if, if I had a better answer for you, I'd be happy to give it, but you try and make the contribution you can and prevent bad things from happening.
1: Well, I'll tell you what is it, a group of people who have no reason to con- concert or coordinate their answer. There's so many of you who had high positions who say, look, I was afraid to leave, not afraid of Trump, but I was afraid of what would happen. Um, but I also wanted people to know, and they had the same struggle you say you have. So look, there's only one thing required for your book to be helpful and it's an open mind, (laughs) there is a paucity of those. The book has done very well, uh, regardless. The book is The Room Where It Happened. It's writer, Ambassador John Bolton. Sir, thank you very much for coming on the show. We'll see you again. Well, thanks for having me, I appreciate it. All right, be well, Ambassador. All right, so now, what is the effect of what the president admitted on the tape? As I pointed out, you saw echo effect. Right. Other officials had to stay quiet. Couldn't tell you the truth because he didn't want you to. Right. Uh, You saw that he uh, had other governors of red states would echo him. Right. Like happened in Texas till he got burned. Like happened in Georgia till he got burned. Like happened in Florida. And they're still getting burned. But how about the governors who relied on him to their own detriment? We have one. A governor who says, you know what, I would have taken a more aggressive action sooner if Trump was giving me better information early on when we didn't have our own information. That governor is Phil Murphy of New Jersey. What's his basis? What does it mean? And where are we today? Next. Now, I know that when you hear the number of cases and the millions and 200,000 dead, it just becomes a haze, a fog. The number themselves lose meaning, but the perspective is that it didn't have to be like this. The CDC is projecting we could lose more than 25,000 additional Americans over the next three weeks. How many fewer would we lose if everybody was on the same page? Instead of what we saw at the Trump rally, even tonight, even on the heels of him being accused of exposing his own people to risk that he knows exists. Studies have shown earlier action would have saved lives, tens of thousands of lives. You know who believes that? New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. He says he knows it all too well, painfully so. He was one of the early epicenters of this. Welcome back to primetime, Gov. Good to be with you, Chris. Thanks for having me. February 7th, Trump tells Woodward he knew about airborne transmission. He says and around that same space, he knew it was going to be worse than the flu. He knew it wasn't just old people. It was young people. It was going to be bad. This was deadly stuff. You remember him telling you that?
2: Listen, my reaction to this is we were in a whole different mindset. On behalf, I think I could speak on behalf of the governors who moved aggressively early. We were as early as anybody, your brother, Connecticut, Michigan, other states. I think there's common threads to those actions. Number one, we were voracious and remain voraciously interested in the facts, the data, any data we could get. Secondly, that data informed our policies. Thirdly, we shot straight with our people, even if it was uh, not comfortable, even if it was truths that they necessarily didn't want to hear. We built up a bridge of trust with folks. And as a result of all of that, we crushed the curve. We brought it right to, you know, as close to the ground as, as you can do it. And, and notwithstanding that, we paid a huge price. So when I hear the February 7 anecdote, and, and, and I'm asked the question, do you think it could have You could have saved more lives. Uh, The answer I I, I have to believe is yes. You know this. We memorialize folks at each one of our press conferences. I speak to families of folks who have lost loved ones almost every day. The thought that I could have made one less memorial or one less phone call just if we had that extra step of data, uh, I think that weighs on us and it should weigh on us. Substantiated for people
1: who push back. The pushback is, ah, come on. You had your own reasons to know or not know. Don't put it on the president. He, wasn't in, he It's not his job to tell you everything.
2: Well, I think it is his job. And in fairness, I think the leader of the country has to shoot straight, not just with governors, but I think with uh, our entire population. And the fact of the matter is, we, as you know, we, we've got our own experts. We speak to experts around the country, around the world all the time. But the federal government sits on the CDC, the NIH, uh, reams, uh, gobs of data and, and experts, uh, and they, they can play an existential role that no one else can play. So, yes, we can, we can find a lot of the answers ourselves, and we did, and we moved aggressively. But, boy, knowing the full, having full insight into what the federal government knew and knows uh, is, is a dimension that I wish we had.
1: Well, the past is history, all right? Um, the time to act is now. That's all we control. So going into the fall, we know what the concern is. People actually get sick in the fall. They get all kinds of stuff. A lot of it will present and maybe be COVID. You still don't have the testing to do in real time, any kind of rapid testing of a significant part of your population, let alone your school population. So what are your concerns heading into
2: fall? First of all, Chris, we talk about the February 7 conversation Uh, like it was an event that happened and is over. I just want to say on September 10th, uh, the president could still bend the curve in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Mandating a national masking policy Mm -hmm. is the best example I can think of. We do that for three or four weeks. We have a whole different fall. Uh, So I want to make sure that uh, that we all remember that this is not over. We're still playing the game. We're still in in, in in the event. Um, Listen, we've we've built up as much testing capacity per capita as any American state, uh, but God knows we can all use more. We're back to school. Uh, We're a combination of both hybrid, some modest amount of full Mm in-person, and and some good amount of remote, and the remote schools have all committed to a date by which they'd be back in-person safely. So our principles are safety, high-quality education, equity. So far, I'm knocking on wood here in New Jersey. So far, so good. I've toured a couple of in-person schools and was really, really impressed. Uh, But you're right. Uh, The the experts will tell you we could face a second wave in the fall and we've got to be prepared. We're doing everything we can be. We just need the federal government to be as robust a partner as possible. I
1: really believe that from the best data, you know, not all data is equal, right? You want accurate data, Um, that if you get masks in the places where you have community spread, and you amp up testing of accurate testing that is quicker turnaround and subsidize it in the places that need it, you shouldn't have a second wave. You should be able to get kids in school and we should be able to control it with some spikes in areas that are understandable based on what we've been through. So Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey, we will be here for you to make the case of what's happening and what you need as always. Thank you, Chris, for having me. All right, Governor, God bless and be well, stay healthy. All right, so where are we? Where are we as we count down the weeks to the election? Let's bring in the Wizard of Odds, okay? He's gonna do a little time travel, a couple of years. Why? He wants to show us where we may be headed. Oh, that was good, is that time travel? Next. The president calls legend Bob Woodward names, blames him for his own yapping on a recorded interview. Trump was told about coronavirus, told how bad it could be, told what we needed to do, and lied to you about it. He was dangerously close with authoritarians like Kim Jong-un in ways that don't make sense and certainly didn't yield the results. Promised. It lines up. With another book by someone who was on the inside, that book is The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir. The author is Trump's own former national security advisor, Ambassador John Bolton. Welcome to Prime Time. Well, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. What do you make of what the president said to Woodward and his refusal to acknowledge that he did anything wrong?
3: Look, this is a very serious political problem for the president which is what he understands it to be it's not a matter of truth or falsity here for him this is an existential threat to his reelection which i think explains uh the vehemence of his response to it Uh, i think it's just absolutely striking how clear he is on these tapes to woodward of his appreciation for how dangerous the coronavirus was uh, compared to what he was saying publicly at the time, what his senior uh, advisors and cabinet officials were saying at the time, uh, there's no way you can reconcile those things. Mm. And, and that coming out of his own mouth, uh, I, think, I think this could, could be uh, th- nearly the, the point where the, the campaign ends.
1: So, you know, when I originally read your book, it kind of gave me the ability to give the president a break because of how you detail his just incurious nature that the man doesn't want to read. He didn't want to listen. So I gave him the benefit of, uh, you know, that inadequacy so that he probably didn't know what was going on with coronavirus. Now I know he did. What I don't get is this part, Ambassador. Why would he do his own people worst? Why would he tell his own supporters not to wear a mask and to go to places where they'd be exposed to
3: the virus when he knew that the virus could get them? Because, because I think he was driven by his own logic. Uh, my reaction, of course, I was out of the government at this point in January, February, was that, uh, that he was simply resisting information he didn't want to hear. He didn't want to hear bad things about Xi Jinping, about the extent of the disease in China, about, most importantly, the potential negative impact on the U.S. economy. His Ticket to reelection. So once you're saying it's not a problem, we don't have to worry about it, you then can't tell people wear masks, do social distancing, because it sounds like there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And I think he couldn't figure out how to get out of that. That that's what drove him in that direction. But what the Woodward book does is make it much more serious. Because if he did know, and he did it anyway, Uh, You just simply can't reconcile that with with the qualities, the character you need in a president of the United States.
1: And, you know, your assessment that the NSC told him and he didn't do anything about risk to the country. I don't understand. Again, you know, you spent so much time around him and getting a sense of what he does or doesn't do in terms of cogitation thinking. Why did he think it was a good bet to deny the pandemic when doing that almost assured that it would be extended and therefore do more harm to the economy. Whereas what is every first term president dying for? A crisis, right? Not to be callous, but to put his arm around it and say, look, I owned this. I did everything we could, Re-elect me.
3: Look, I think uh, Trump believes that if he talks about uh, a particular threat or a particular crisis uh, in ways that, that he thinks Uh, benefit him, that he can get away with it endlessly. I I saw this in uh, situation after situation. Don't talk about North Korea's ballistic missile test, call them artillery, call them something else. Uh, They won't be in the news and therefore they won't be a threat. Mm -hmm. How you characterize foreign leaders, same kind of approach. I think he just didn't understand the coronavirus wasn't reading the memos and that they were not, the the, the disease was not subject to that same kind of treatment. As I say, once once that logic drives him down a particular path, it's very hard to correct from that point.
1: And in terms of how you saw this extended, um, the idea that uh, you had witnessed this president not wanting things discussed and then that's it. You want to keep your job, you have to stay there. Um, for instance, the other story in the headlines right now from the whistleblower, the whistleblower saying, hey, Wolf and Cuccinelli told me no more briefings of Congress uh, about Russian interference. And you've got to taper what you say about Russian intelligence, Russian interference
3: intel to what the president wants to hear. Do you believe that could have happened? Uh, I, I believe it could have happened. And uh, I, I think people were self-censoring to a certain extent. uh, And I think that's a real problem. Look, you you can receive intelligence from the intelligence community, disagree with it, disagree with the implications of what the policy is, uh, disagree with what the priorities ought to be in terms of gathering new intelligence. These are all legitimate subjects to discuss. It's when you close your mind to what's coming in entirely and just refuse to receive it, that you're in real trouble. This is a Trump characteristic. Uh, And it carries over as well to what he says publicly. He made a very interesting remark on the coronavirus. He said that not just that he didn't want to cause panic, but that he was a cheerleader and he wanted to keep people's spirits up. I I think that's a a telling uh, aspect of his character, but it's not what a president is. He's a leader not a cheerleader. The American people are not children. They're adults. And the way a leader reacts is you tell them the truth. If you don't think the American people can take the truth, you're saying we've got a very serious problem with our system of of government. And you mentioned at the beginning, Roosevelt, Churchill, really great leaders uh, who can inspire people, also tell them the truth that's just not part of the trump uh, approach cheerleader it's also a, a function of what he wants to cheer on i mean
1: you know he's basically pitching uh, you know race invasions right now and saying that this election is going to be rigged so i don't know exactly what he's cheering for uh more to your bailiwick uh you say that in terms of this kind of displacement of reality for his own advantage that when it came to the mbs situation uh, Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia. Um, Woodward says that Trump was bragging about saving MBS's ass. And you said that Trump was sometimes su- uh, su- uh, defending Saudi Arabia for personal reasons of distraction. How so?
3: Well, at the time that uh, Trump made the statement uh, supporting Saudi Arabia happened to coincide with a lot of press reporting about Ivanka Trump's use of personal email, uh, and a- as he often does, I think he hoped that his statement would cancel that out. And, and he was right about it by by diverting people's attention to to MBS. Mm. Uh, I do think there's a there's a legitimate argument here about the American interest dealing with Saudi Arabia. That that wasn't necessarily at the top of his agenda, though. Um, just to be clear, when I
1: was talking about the NSC uh, before, not to confuse people, the National Security Council, you say in the book that the NSC saw the threat from COVID. Uh, I, you know, I don't want people to confuse, well, but Bolton left. Yeah, but the NSC, you understand, saw the threat. It wasn't that they missed it.
3: No, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, it's been reported in, in a number of sources, the New York Times did a long TikTok on the government's reaction to COVID. and And they say in this long article. In early January, staff at the NSC and elsewhere in the government were raising the red flag about Mm -hmm. that. The first page of Woodward's book uh, talks about how my successor and his deputy we're in seeing the president at the end of January. People knew what was going on. The problem was not failure to understand this was a threat. The problem was in the Oval Office right. and the president's empty chair. He did not want to deal with this.
1: They got things wrong early on, you know, even at the task force level. But once they figured out they were wrong, they wanted to make a shift. It was the president who didn't. And now we see that uh, on the tapes. Uh, a few more things for you, uh, Ambassador, if you would. Uh, first... Uh, Woodward says that Mattis, General Mattis, said that the president is dangerous and unfit. Um, Coates, uh, former uh, official Coates, doesn't know the difference between the truth and a lie, he said about the president. And he said, and you said in your own book that you, uh, now Secretary of State Pompeo, and obviously Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, that you were all worried. Worried about what?
3: Well, worried about the way the president conducted affairs with foreign governments, in in, in many cases, uh, in my view, coming close to, if not crossing the line, on obstruction of justice, interfering in uh, prosecutions and investigations in this country. Uh, it was very hard for people, and remains very hard for people in the administration, uh, uh, to know how to handle the president in these cases. Everybody had a different take on it. But there's never been an administration, uh, in contemporary history anyway, where so many people went in hoping to serve the country and just finally uh, came to a realization they, they couldn't live with their own conscience and continue to do it. The country suffers when that happens.
1: Here is the criticism that always assures I don't get the first interview with the book. Why did you wait? If you saw these things when you were in office, especially you, you're such a veteran. You're so savvy. You've been at the highest level so many times. If you knew that this wasn't just aberrant, but it was dangerous, why save it for a book? Why not say it when you were there and step down?
3: Well, look, the question of how long you, you stay in a job like this uh, is complex. Everybody makes his own calculation. Uh, I felt that, uh, that I could Prevent worse things from happening. You, you know, you can call that a rationalization. It may well be. I, I finally left when I couldn't stand it anymore. Uh, why did I put it in a book? Because I felt it would take 500 pages to detail it fact by well, I'm fact. I'm okay not with you writing make the book. Statement it's it's good dead. that you wrote the book.
1: But do you regret not saying what's in the book on a show like this or 10 shows like this when you were there and you were already sure? Couldn't have taken you
3: that long. To figure out that you shouldn't be there anymore well uh, you know I could have I could have left after 30 days too and I would have I would have had uh, one opportunity to make that point I, I felt and I, I continue to believe and there are other people who were in the government some are still in the government trying to do the right thing for the country which is what we all owe our real loyalty to the Constitution not the individual in the office uh and i think uh look different different people are in different situations and i i don't criticize any of the others i've had disagreements with people like mattis but i've never doubted he acted in a patriotic fashion he left after two years Uh, you know if if i had a better answer for you i'd be happy to give it but you try and make the contribution you can and prevent bad things from happening
1: well i'll tell you what is a group of people who have no reason to concert or coordinate their answer There's so many of you who had high positions who say, look, I was afraid to leave, not afraid of Trump, but I was afraid of what would happen. Um, But I also wanted people to know, and they had the same struggle you say you have. So look, there's only one thing required for your book to be helpful, and it's an open mind. (laughs) There is a paucity of those. The book has done very well. uh, Regardless, the book is The Room Where It Happened. It's writer, Ambassador John Bolton. Sir, thank you very much for coming on the show. We'll see you again.
3: Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate
1: it. All right. Be well, Ambassador. All right. So now what is the effect of what the president admitted on the tape? As I pointed out, you saw echo effect, right? Other officials had to stay quiet. Couldn't tell you the truth because he didn't want you to, right? Uh, You saw that he uh, had other governors of red states would echo him, right? Like happened in Texas till he got burned. Like happened in Georgia till he got burned. Like happened in Florida and they're still getting burned. But how about the governors who relied on him to their own detriment? We have one. A governor who says, you know what, I would have taken a more aggressive action sooner if Trump was giving me better information early on when we didn't have our own information. That governor is Phil Murphy of New Jersey. What's his basis? What does it mean? And where are we today? Next. Now, I know that when you hear the number of cases and the millions and 200,000 dead, it just becomes a haze, a fog. The number themselves lose meaning, but the perspective is that it didn't have to be like this. The CDC is projecting we could lose more than 25,000 additional Americans over the next three weeks. How many fewer would we lose if everybody was on the same page? Instead of what we saw at the Trump rally, even tonight, even on the heels of him being accused of exposing his own people to risk that he knows exists. Studies have shown earlier action would have saved lives, tens of thousands of lives. You know who believes that? New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. He says he knows it all too well, painfully so. He was one of the early epicenters of this. Welcome back to Primetime Gov. Good to be with you, Chris. Thanks for having me. February 7th. Trump tells Woodward he knew about airborne transmission. He says and around that same space, knew it was going to be worse than the flu. We knew it wasn't just old people. It was young people. It was going to be bad. This was deadly stuff. You remember him telling you that?
2: <laughs> Listen, I, I, my reaction to this is we were in a whole different mindset on behalf. I think I could speak on behalf of the governors who moved aggressively Early, We were as early as anybody, your brother, Connecticut, Michigan, other states. I think there's common threads to those actions. Number one, we were voracious and remained voraciously interested in the facts, the data, any data we could get. Secondly, that data informed our policies. Thirdly, we shot straight with our people, even if it was uh, not comfortable, even if it was truths that they necessarily didn't want to hear. We built up a bridge of trust with folks, and as a result of all of that, we crushed the curve. We brought it right to, you know, as close to the ground as as you can do it. And and notwithstanding that, we paid a huge price. So when I hear the February 7 anecdote, and and, and I'm asked the question, do you think it could have, you could have saved more lives? Uh, The answer I, I, I have to believe is yes. You know this, we memorialize folks at each one of our press conferences, I speak to families of folks who have lost loved ones almost every day. The thought that I could have m- made one less memorial or one less phone call, just if we had a, that extra step of data, uh, I think that weighs on us and it should weigh on us. Substantiated for people who push back.
1: The pushback is, ah, come on. You had your own reasons to know or not know. Don't put it on the president. He wasn't in, he, it's not his job to tell you everything.
2: Well, I think it is his job, and in fairness, I think the leader of the country has to shoot straight, not just with governors, but I think with uh, our entire population. And the fact of the matter is, we, as you know, we've, we've got our own experts. We speak to experts around the country, around the world all the time. But the federal government sits on the CDC. The NIH uh, reams uh, gobs of data and, and experts, uh, and they, they can play an existential role that no one else can play. So, yes, we can, we can find a lot of the answers ourselves, and we did, and we moved aggressively. But boy, knowing the full, having full insight into what the federal government knew and knows uh, is, is a dimension that I wish we had. Well, the past is history,
1: uh, right? Um, the time to act is now. That's all we control. So. Going into the fall, we know what the concern is. People actually get sick in the fall. They get all kinds of stuff. A lot of it will present and maybe be COVID. You still don't have the testing to do in real time, any kind of rapid testing of a significant part of your population, let alone your school population. So what are your concerns heading into fall?
2: First of all, Chris, we talk about the February 7 conversation uh, like it was an event that happened and is over. I just want to say on September 10th, uh, the president could still bend the curve in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Mandating a national masking policy mm-hmm. is the best example I can think of. We do that for three or four weeks. We have a whole different fall. Uh, so I want to make sure that, uh, that we all remember that this is not over. We're still playing the game. We're still in the, in, in the, in the event. Um, listen, we've, we've built up as much testing capacity per capita as any American state. Uh, but God knows we can all use more. We're back to school. Uh, We're a combination of both hybrid, some modest amount of full Mm in-person, and and some good amount of remote, and the remote schools have all committed to a date by which they'd be back in-person safely. So our principles are safety, high-quality education, equity. So far, I'm knocking on wood here in New Jersey, so far, so good. I've toured a couple of in-person schools and was really, really impressed. Uh, But you're right. Uh, The the experts will tell you we could face a second wave in the fall and we've got to be prepared. We're doing everything we can be. We just need the federal government to be as robust a partner as possible. I really believe that from
1: the best data, you know, not all data is equal, right? You want accurate data Um, that if you get masks in the places where you have community spread and you amp up testing of accurate testing that is quicker turnaround and subsidize it in the places that need it, you shouldn't have a second wave, you should be able to get kids in school and we should be able to control it with some spikes in areas that are understandable based on what we've been through. So Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey, we will be here for you to make the case of what's happening and what you need as always. Thank you, Chris, for having me. All right, Governor, God bless and be well, stay healthy. All right, so where are we? Where are we as we count down the weeks to the election? Let's bring in the Wizard of Odds, okay? He's gonna do a little time travel. A couple of years. Why? He wants to show us where we may be headed. Oh, that was good. Is that time travel? Next. All right, we're going to cover Trump and Biden a lot, probably close to daily. I mean, we're coming right up to the election. What about Biden versus Clinton? What? 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 Hillary Clinton losing four years ago surprised a hell of a lot of people, right? So the Wizard of Odds wants to look at the numbers behind why Trump versus Clinton is not Trump versus Biden. Hello, my brother, Harry Enten. What do you have for us today? No secret. Biden is in better shape than Clinton. Tell us why.
4: Yeah, I mean, it starts off really just by looking at the national polls. Look at where we are right now compared to four years ago on this date, what you see is that Biden's lead nationally is not only more than double what Clinton's lead was at this point, but Biden is over 50%. Clinton never got anywhere close to that. When you look at the polls and you're honest with yourself, there's only one conclusion to reach, Christopher, and that is that Joe Biden is in a significantly better position right now than Hillary Clinton was at four years ago at this point.
1: Popular vote Pishaw. Swing states, please.
4: Yeah, I know. This is your, own, your your thing all the time, right? The swing mm-hmm. state. Here's the key nugget, right? Look at these key swing states, Michigan, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. And look at where Joe Biden is. He is up in all of them. And I know we had this discussion on Tuesday night, oh, the race is closing. Look at where we are right now compared to a month ago in those states. All of those polling averages are within a point of where we were last month. And in all of those key states, Joe Biden has a five point lead or better.
1: If you take the MOE into consideration, is it more than a three to four point race anywhere?
4: No, I mean, look, if you look at those swing states and you take into account the margin of error, of course it might be closer than these averages indicate. But that is the reason why we take an average, right, Chris? It Mm -hmm. helps to shrink that margin of error and gives us more confidence in these results. There have been a ton of polls conducted in these states, specifically in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. And the fact is, in the polls that I trust most often, Joe Biden pretty much has never trailed in any of these states, at least over the last six months.
1: Florida, not on your list. Does it matter still as much as always?
4: I mean, Florida matters. Look, if you're Joe Biden, you want to win in the state of Florida, right? Uh, If you win in Florida, uh, Donald Trump pretty much has no map to win. But we have a slide up here, if we can just flash forward to it, that shows the electoral map. And this gives you a really good indication. If you just give Joe Biden the states, where his lead was at least five points in August and September, he gets to 279 electoral votes. That is enough to win. And that Mm -hmm. is without Florida. Florida is great for Joe Biden, but he doesn't need it to the same extent that uh, Donald Trump does.
1: What this past week shows us is we are a lot farther away than just the days count. This is about moments, transition, the debate a little bit. But there's a lot that can happen that will change these numbers one way or the other. Harry Enten will be along for the ride. Thank you very much. And we'll
4: be right back. I'll be riding shotgun with you.
1: Yay. We'll be back. The president calls legend Bob Woodward names, blames him for his own yapping on a recorded interview. Trump was told about coronavirus, told how bad it could be, told what we needed to do, and lied to you about it. He was dangerously close with authoritarians like Kim Jong-un in ways that don't make sense and certainly didn't yield the results. Promised. It lines up. With another book by someone who was on the inside. That book is The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir. The author is Trump's own former national security advisor, Ambassador John Bolton. Welcome to Prime Time. Well, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. What do you make of what the president said to Woodward and his refusal to acknowledge that he did anything wrong?
3: look this is a very serious political problem for the president which is what he understands it to be it's not a matter of truth or falsity here for him this is an existential threat to his reelection which i think explains uh the vehemence of his response to it Uh, i think it's just absolutely striking how clear he is on these tapes to woodward of his appreciation for how dangerous the coronavirus was uh, compared to what he was saying publicly at the time, what his senior uh, advisors and cabinet officials were saying at the time, uh, there's no way you can reconcile those things. Mm. And, and that coming out of his own mouth, uh, I, think, I think this could, could be uh, th- nearly the, the point where the, the campaign ends.
1: So, you know, when I originally read your book, it kind of gave me the ability to give the president a break because of how you detail his just incurious nature that the man doesn't want to read. He didn't want to listen. So I gave him the benefit of, uh, you know, that inadequacy so that he probably didn't know what was going on with coronavirus. Now I know he did. What I don't get is this part, Ambassador. Why would he do his own people worst? Why would he tell his own supporters not to wear a mask and to go to places where they'd be exposed
3: to the virus when he knew that the virus could get them? because because I think he was driven by his own logic. Uh, My reaction, of course, I was out of the government at this point in January, February, was that uh, that he was simply resisting information he didn't want to hear. He didn't want to hear bad things about Xi Jinping, about the extent of the disease in China, about, most importantly, the potential negative impact on the U.S. economy. His Ticket to re-election. So once you're saying it's not a problem, we don't have to worry about it. You then can't tell people wear masks, do social distancing, because it sounds like there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And I think he couldn't figure out how to get out of that. That that's what drove him in that direction. But what the Woodward book does is make it much more serious, because if he did know and he did it anyway. Uh, You just simply can't reconcile that with with the qualities, the character you need in a president of the United States.
1: And, you know, your assessment that the NSC told him and he didn't do anything about risk to the country. I don't understand. Again, you know, you spent so much time around him and getting a sense of what he does or doesn't do in terms of cogitation thinking. Why did he think it was a good bet to deny the pandemic when doing that almost assured that it would be extended and therefore do more harm to the economy. Whereas, what is every first term president dying for? A crisis, right? Not to be callous, but to put his arm around it and say, look, I owned this. I did everything we could. Re-elect me.
3: Look, I think uh, Trump believes that if he talks about uh, a particular threat or a particular crisis uh, in ways that, that he thinks uh, benefit him that he can get away with it endlessly i, I saw this in uh, situation after situation don't talk about north korea's ballistic missile test call them artillery call them something else uh, they won't be in the news and therefore they won't be a threat mm-hmm. how you characterize foreign leaders same kind of approach i think he just didn't understand the coronavirus wasn't reading the memos and that they were not, the, the, the disease was not subject to that same kind of treatment. As I say, once, once that logic drives him down a particular path, it's very hard to correct from that point.
1: And in terms of how you saw this extended, um, the idea that uh, you had witnessed this president not wanting things discussed and then that's it. You want to keep your job, you have to stay there. Um, for instance, the other story in the headlines right now from the whistleblower, the whistleblower saying, hey, Wolf and Cuccinelli told me no more briefings of Congress uh, about Russian interference. And you've got to taper what you say about Russian intelligence, Russian interference
3: intel to what the president wants to hear. Do you believe
1: that could have happened?
3: Uh, I, I believe it could have happened. And uh, I, I think people were self-censoring to a certain extent. uh, And I think that's a real problem. Look, you you can receive intelligence from the intelligence community, disagree with it, disagree with the implications of what the policy is, uh, disagree with what the priorities ought to be in terms of gathering new intelligence. These are all legitimate subjects to discuss. It's when you close your mind to what's coming in entirely, and just refuse to receive it, that you're in real trouble. This is a Trump characteristic, uh, and it carries over as well to what he says publicly. He made a very interesting remark on the coronavirus. He said that not just that he didn't want to cause panic, but that he was a cheerleader, and he wanted to keep people's spirits up. I, I, I think that's a, a telling uh, aspect of his character, but it's not what a president is. He's a leader not a cheerleader the american people are not children they're adults and the way a leader reacts is you tell them the truth if you don't think the american people can take the truth you're saying we've got a very serious problem with our system of of government and you mentioned at the beginning roosevelt churchill really great leaders uh, who can inspire people also tell them the truth. That's just not part of the Trump uh, approach. Cheerleader, it's also a function of what he wants to cheer on. I mean,
1: you know, he's basically pitching, uh, you know, race invasions right now and saying that this election is going to be rigged. So I don't know exactly what he's cheering for. Uh, More to your bailiwick, Uh, you say that in terms of this kind of displacement of reality for his own advantage, that when it came to the MBS situation, Uh, Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia. Um, Woodward says that Trump was bragging about saving MBS's ass. And you said that Trump was sometimes uh, uh, defending Saudi Arabia for personal reasons of distraction. How so?
3: Well, at the time that uh, Trump made the statement uh, supporting Saudi Arabia happened to coincide with a lot of press reporting about Ivanka Trump's use of personal email, uh, and as he often does, I think he hoped that his statement would cancel that out, and, and he was right about it by, by diverting people's attention to, to MBS. Mm. Uh, I do think there's a, there's a legitimate argument here about the American interest dealing with Saudi Arabia. That, that wasn't necessarily at the top of his agenda, though. Um, Just to be clear, when
1: I was talking about the NSC uh, before, not to confuse people, the National Security Council, you say in the book that the NSC saw the threat from COVID. Uh, I I don't want people to confuse, well, but Bolton left. Yeah, but the NSC, you understand, saw the threat. It wasn't that they missed it.
3: No, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, it's been reported in in a number of sources, the New York Times did a long TikTok on the government's reaction to COVID. and, And they say in this long article, in early January, staff at the NSC and elsewhere in the government were raising the red flag about Mm -hmm. that. The first page of Woodward's book uh, talks about how my successor and his deputy were in seeing the president at the end of January. People knew what was going on. The problem was not failure to understand this was a threat. The problem was in the Oval Office. Right and the president's empty chair. He did not want to deal with this.
1: They got things wrong early on, you know, even at the task force level. But once they figured out they were wrong, they wanted to make a shift. It was the president who didn't. And now we see that uh, on the tapes. Uh, a few more things for you, uh, Ambassador, if you would. Uh, first, uh, Woodward says that Mattis, General Mattis, said that the president is dangerous and unfit. Um, Coates. Uh, former uh, official Coates, doesn't know the difference between the truth and a lie, he said about the president. And he said, and you said in your own book that you, uh, now Secretary of State Pompeo, and obviously Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, that you were all worried. Worried about what?
3: Well, worried about the way the president conducted affairs with foreign governments. In, in, in many cases, uh, in my view, coming close to if not crossing the line on obstruction of justice, interfering in uh, prosecutions and investigations in this country. Uh, It was very hard for people and remains very hard for people in the administration uh, uh, to know how to handle the president in these cases. Everybody had a different take on it, but there's never been an administration, uh, in contemporary history anyway, where so many people went in hoping to serve the country Mm -hmm. and just finally Uh, came to a realization they they couldn't live with their own conscience and continue to do it. The country suffers when that happens.
1: Here is the criticism that always assures I don't get the first interview with a book. Why did you wait? If you saw these things when you were in office, especially you, you're such a veteran, you're so savvy, you've been at the highest level so many times. If you knew that this wasn't just aberrant, but it was dangerous, why save it for a book? Why not say it when you were there and step down?
3: Well, look, the question of how long you, you stay in a job like this uh, is complex. Everybody makes his own calculation. Uh, I felt that uh, that I could prevent worse things from happening. You, you know, you can call that a rationalization. It may well be. I, I finally left when I couldn't stand it anymore. Uh, why did I put it in a book? Because I felt it would take 500 pages to detail it fact by well, I'm fact, okay with not you just you writing the book. It's, that it's good dead. that you wrote the book,
1: but do you regret? not saying what's in the book on a show like this or 10 shows like this when you were there and you were already sure. Couldn't have taken
3: you that long to figure out that you shouldn't be there anymore? Well, uh, you know, I could have I left after 30 days too and I would have I had uh, one opportunity to make that point. I, I felt and I, I continue to believe, and there are other people who were in the government, some are still in the government, trying to do the right thing for the country, which is what we all owe our real loyalty to, the Constitution, not the individual in the office. Uh, and I think, uh, it, look, different, different people are in different situations, and I, I don't criticize any of the others. I've had disagreements with people like Mattis, but I've never doubted he acted in a patriotic fashion. He left after two years. Uh, You know, if if I had a better answer for you, I'd be happy to give it. But you try and make the contribution you can and prevent bad things from happening.
1: Well, I'll tell you what is a group of people who have no reason to concert or coordinate their answer. There's so many of you who had high positions who say, look, I was afraid to leave, not afraid of Trump, but I was afraid of what would happen. Um, But I also wanted people to know. And they had the same struggle you say you have. So, look, there's only one thing required for your book to be helpful. And it's an open mind. (laughs) There is a paucity of those. The book has done very well. uh, Regardless, the book is The Room Where It Happened. It's writer, Ambassador John Bolton. Sir, thank you very much for coming on the show. We'll see you again. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Be well, Ambassador. All right. So now what is the effect of what the president admitted on the tape? As I pointed out, You saw echo effect, right? Other officials had to stay quiet. Couldn't tell you the truth because he didn't want you to, right? Uh, You saw that he uh, had other governors of red states would echo him, right? Like happened in Texas till he got burned, like happened in Georgia till he got burned, like happened in Florida, and they're still getting burned. But how about the governors who relied on him to their own detriment? We have one, a governor who says, you know what? I would have taken a more aggressive action sooner if Trump was giving me better information early on when we didn't have our own information. That governor is Phil Murphy of New Jersey. What's his basis? What does it mean? And where are we today? Next. Now, I know that when you hear the number of cases and the millions and 200,000 dead, it just becomes a haze, a fog. The number themselves lose meaning, but the perspective is that it didn't have to be like this. The CDC is projecting we could lose more than 25,000 additional Americans over the next three weeks. How many fewer would we lose if everybody was on the same page? Instead of what we saw at the Trump rally, even tonight, even on the heels of him being accused of exposing his own people to risk that he knows exists. Studies have shown earlier action would have saved lives, tens of thousands of lives. You know who believes that? New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. He says he knows it all too well, painfully so. He was one of the early epicenters of this. Welcome back to primetime, Gov. Good to be with you, Chris. Thanks for having me. February 7th, Trump tells Woodward he knew about airborne transmission. He says and around that same space, knew it was going to be worse than the flu. He knew it wasn't just old people. It was young people. It was going to be bad. This was deadly stuff. You remember him telling you that? (laughs)
2: <laughs> Listen, I, I, my reaction to this is we were in a whole different mindset. On behalf, I think I could speak on behalf of the governors who moved aggressively early. We were as early as anybody, your brother, Connecticut, Michigan, other states. I think there's common threads to those actions. Number one, we were voracious and remained voraciously interested in the facts, the data, any data we could get. Secondly, that data informed our policies. Thirdly, we shot straight with our people, even if it was uh, not comfortable, even if it was truths that they necessarily didn't want to hear. We built up a bridge of trust with folks, and as a result of all of that, we crushed the curve. We brought it right to, you know, as close to the ground as, as you can do it. And and notwithstanding that, we paid a huge price. So when I hear the February 7 anecdote, and, and, and I'm asked the question, do you think it could have? You could have saved more lives. Uh, The answer I I have to believe is yes. You know this. We memorialize folks at each one of our press conferences. I speak to families of folks who have lost loved ones almost every day. The thought that I could have made one less memorial or one less phone call just if we had that extra step of data, uh, I think that weighs on us and it should weigh on us. Substantiated for people who push
1: back. The pushback is, ah, come on. You had your own reasons to know or not know. Don't put it on the president. He wasn't. It's not his job to tell you everything.
2: Well, I think it is his job. And in fairness, I think the leader of the country has to shoot straight, not just with governors, but I think with uh, our entire population. And the fact of the matter is, as you know, we we've got our own experts. We speak to experts around the country, around the world all the time. But the federal government sits on the CDC, the NIH. Uh, reams, uh, gobs of data and, and experts, uh, and they, they can play an existential role that no one else can play. So yes, we can, we can find a lot of the answers ourselves, and we did, and we moved aggressively. But boy, knowing the full, having full insight into what the federal government knew and knows uh, is, is a dimension that I wish we had. Well,
1: the past is history, all right? Um, the time to act is now. That's all we control. So uh, going into the fall, we know what the concern is. People actually get sick in the fall. They get all kinds of stuff. A lot of it will present and maybe be COVID. You still don't have the testing to do in real time, any kind of rapid testing of a significant part of your population, let alone your school population. So what are your concerns heading into fall?
2: First of all, Chris, we talk about the February 7 conversation Uh, like it was an event that happened and is over. I just want to say on September 10th, uh, the president could still bend the curve in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Mandating a national masking policy Mm -hmm. is the best example I can think of. We do that for three or four weeks. We have a whole different fall. Uh, So I want to make sure that uh, that we all remember that this is not over. We're still playing the game. We're still in in, in in the event. Um, Listen, we've we've built up as much testing capacity per capita as any American state, uh, but God knows we can all use more. We're back to school. Uh, We're a combination of both hybrid, some modest amount of full Mm in-person, and and some good amount of remote. And the remote schools have all committed to a date by which they'd be back in person safely. So our principles are safety, high-quality education, equity, So far, I'm knocking on wood here in New Jersey. So far, so good. I've toured a couple of in-person schools and was really, really impressed. Uh, But you're right. Uh, The the experts will tell you we could face a second wave in the fall and we've got to be prepared. We're doing everything we can be. We just need the federal government to be as robust a partner as possible. I really believe that
1: from the best data, you know, not all data is equal, right? You want accurate data, Um, that if you get masks in the places where you have community spread, and you amp up testing of accurate testing that is quicker turnaround and subsidize it in the places that need it, you shouldn't have a second wave. You should be able to get kids in school, and we should be able to control it with some spikes in areas that are understandable based on what we've been through. So, Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey, we will be here for you to make the case of what's happening and what you need, as always. Thank you, Chris, for having me. All right, Governor. God bless and be well. Stay healthy. All right, so where are we? Where are we as we count down the weeks to the election? Let's bring in the Wizard of Odds, okay? He's gonna do a little time travel. A couple of years, why? He wants to show us where we may be headed. Ooh, that was good, is that time travel? Next. All right, we're gonna cover Trump and Biden a lot, probably close to daily. I mean, we're coming right up to the election. What about Biden versus Clinton? What, what? Hillary Clinton losing four years ago surprised a hell of a lot of people, right? So the Wizard of Odds wants to look at the numbers behind why Trump versus Clinton is not Trump versus Biden. Hello, my brother, Harry Enten. What do you have for us today? No secret. Biden is in better shape than Clinton. Tell us why.
4: Yeah, I mean, it starts off really just by looking at the national polls. Look at where we are Right now, compared to four years ago on this date, what you see is that Biden's lead nationally is not only more than double what Clinton's lead was at this point, but Biden is over 50%. Clinton never got anywhere close to that. When you look at the polls and you're honest with yourself, there's only one conclusion to reach, Christopher, and that is that Joe Biden is in a significantly better position right now than Hillary Clinton was at four years ago at this point.
1: Popular vote, Peshaw. Swing states, please.
4: Yeah, I know. This is your, own, your, your thing all the time, right? The swing mm-hmm. state. Here's the key nugget, right? Look at these key swing states. Michigan, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. And look at where Joe Biden is. He is up in all of them. And I know we had this discussion on Tuesday night. Oh, the race is closing. Look at where we are right now compared to a month ago in those states. All of those polling averages are within a point of where we were last month. And in all of those key states... Joe Biden has a five point lead or better.
1: If you take the MOE into consideration, is it more than a three to four point race anywhere?
4: No. I mean, look, if you look at those swing states and you take into account the margin of error, of course, it might be closer than these averages indicate. But that is the reason why we take an average, right, Chris? It -hmm. helps to shrink that margin of error and gives us more confidence in these results. There have been a ton of polls conducted in these states, specifically in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. And the fact is, in the polls that I trust most often, Joe Biden pretty much has never trailed in any of these states, at least over the last six months.
1: Florida, not on your list. Does it matter still as much as always?
4: I mean, Florida matters. Look, if you're Joe Biden, you want to win in the state of Florida, right? Uh, If you win in Florida, uh, Donald Trump pretty much has no map to win. But we have a slide up here, if we can just flash forward to it, that shows the electoral map. And this gives you a really good indication. If you just give Joe Biden in the states, where his lead was at least five points in August and September, he gets to 279 electoral votes. That is enough to win. And that is without Florida. Florida is great for Joe Biden, but he doesn't need it to the same extent that uh, Donald Trump does.
1: What this past week shows us is we are a lot farther away than just the days count. This is about moments, transition, the debate a little bit. But there's a lot that can happen that will change these numbers one way or the other. Harry Enten will be along for the ride. Thank you very much. And we'll be right back. I'll be
4: riding shotgun with you.
1: Yay. We'll be back. Let's bring in D. Lemon. I watched him wrestling with his tie like it was a python. Are you around. kidding? me? Still wrestling. You're with You're
5: like it. three minutes early. Well, I owed you some time. <laughs> yeah. You did that on purpose. What did that do to you?
1: <laughs> Only good things. What did Only I do good to you? Things. Only good things. Only good things. You yeah. look good. Thank right. you. So do you. Believe me, the less they see that tie, the better.
5: Man, you need some Grecian and formula. I got a bit. Be, I've been. Meaning I don't to fake the that. funk. Huh? All right. I paid
1: a lot of money for this shirt. <laughs> <boat. laughs> As so, long as it stays in place. So John Bolton is on the show. I was going to say right? I saw that was a great interview. And I chase him a little bit because I don't like that these guys didn't say anything when they were in office, and it seems gratuitous and opportunistic just because there's the book coming out. Right. However, I will I will push back on myself while you're getting your tie straight. <laughs> I'm um, good. I've now. heard it from too many of those guys for it to just be about self-interest. Um, There is something, apparently, to the notion that whether it was Mattis or McMaster uh, or Coates or Bolton, that, look, man, we couldn't just leave. You know, once you're aware of how reckless this guy is, as Bolton says, they wouldn't leave him in the room alone with Kim Jong-un. They wouldn't even think about it, that you can't leave. It's too dangerous to leave this guy. And I can't really say anything because he'll go nuts. It's all he cares about. And then I really have no ability to help this. Yeah. I see. Look, I hate to be uh, both sides. I hate hate that. I
5: see how one could feel that way. But there are certain times and certain situations in your life where you have to say, this is beyond the pale. This is nowhere near normal. This person is a danger. And what is happening here is a danger to the democracy. Right. And what they're doing is so egregious that I can no longer be a part of it. Therefore, I'm going to leave. Not only am I going to leave, I am going to inform the American people about what's happening because it's really, with this administration, as I was watching this president today deal with the press and say things like, oh, find out for yourself and just completely spinning about, you know, um, saying uh, Woodward says, I knew something. Woodward Woodward doesn't say it. Trump said it. But, but but Woodward, the whole thing about blaming, it just, it, it was infuriating because I'm a journalist, Right. And Woodward is not even a working member of the press anymore. He's an author. He was. And very respected, right? You know what he did, yep. Woodward and Bernstein. But he was writing a book. Um, Woodward is Second not the, book. Second book. Woodward is not the president of the United States. Right. Woodward did not take an oath to the people. Woodward does not work for the American public. And so as, as I'm sitting here and he's spinning and lying and doing all this stuff and, and the press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany, is doing the same thing. What they have forgotten, two things. One is that they they represent everyone. We mm. pay their paychecks, the American people. And number two, they work for the people of the United States. They have it backwards. They think that they can yell at the press, treat the press any kind of way, um, lie to the American people, endanger the people that their supporters by putting them in crowds with no social distancing and masks because they are the boss. They're not the boss. We are the boss. Now, I don't mean the press. I mean the American people, the people who voted them in office and even the people who didn't vote them in office. Right. The people who actually went to the polls and voted either way, that's
1: their boss. Right. And they have forgotten that. Right. Well, look, several points and then I'll get out of your way. One. You're good. Uh, we don't just report for the people. We report to the people. Right. Uh, and that's why he attacks us, because it uh, helps weaken the link. See, he wants people weak. Yeah. He wants them weak and scared, and what hurts most in this tape and him telling his own people not to wear masks when he knew he was exposing them to danger is that he's humiliated his own base. These people who are right to feel disaffected and frustrated and so angry at the political process and the institutions that they went with someone as much of a renegade at best as Trump early on, and he's humiliated them Mm -hmm. with how he uses the office, that's rough. Second, Mm -hmm. he's still doing it. He did Michigan tonight. He told them they're rounding the corner or rounding the turn or whatever he mangled. The curve is going like this with cases in Michigan. And he had another crowd where they weren't wearing masks and masks were optional. And he Mm -hmm. didn't tell them about masks either. He's still doing it. And the third point is, I know what it's like to struggle with feeling that what you're seeing is just horrible and out of control. And that you should leave, but you can't because it's too important to the audience. And yeah. that's why I stay right before you every night. <laughs> <laughs> D- uh, but <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, all right. Here's the thing. Uh, one thing <laughs> is that this is the
5: kind of guy you are. You owed me time. I thought maybe you're getting back at I me, mean, but you did. You went over. You went long several nights. And so now I think you're. I think it was actually your. I gave you producer. time. Yeah. I am mean,
1: fair is fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your, your show is almost Izzy, beyond debate more watchable than my it, show. Well,
5: that's true. But your executive <laughs> producer, Izzy, said, uh, you, we have been going long, and so we need to give Don some time back. Why there are you talking to, to, to my EP? Because I'm telling the truth. You don't like the truth? You've talked about
1: sneaking around, talking to my EP, and then, trying
5: to work relationships. <laughs> and then, um, yes. it's frustrating for me, as you know, as you are you're a mama's boy, so am I. Mm. I love that little lady sitting down in Louisiana watching me right now. I have been able to see her since the beginning of the year because I'm socially dista- distancing. She's in that age range. And also she's in a hot spot. She's in Louisiana, the mm-hmm. highest number of cases per capita in the country. And so if I go to visit her- You got a problem. I got a problem. Well, one, I'm worried about her because I don't want to go, you know, I'm a little bit younger, but you know, not much. You call me an old man, but she's in that category. I don't want to, you know, just by chance, if I go on a plane and catch it or whatever, I don't want to give it to her, and number two, if I go see her and I come back, I have to self quarantine. I know,
1: because so, I'll rat you out, and I know who to rat you out too. Uh, on the way
5: to the big this, dog. on the way to this room, Chris. I have all this stuff in my hand. I got papers, whatever. Makeup, I got the bag. Lots of makeup. I got no, no, no. And I, I, I dropped the mask. I'm like, I don't know. It's in the hallway somewhere. Uh oh. So, so you got I a get, dog on it. I'll find no, it. No, no, no. And so you know that we have. We're the only people in the building. Yes. Right. It's just as so weird
1: as that sounds. There's
5: nobody else in the building. So even the, uh, even me being the only person in the building, I feel weird about not having a mask. Yeah. So you We've know been what I very did. good about it. I called the security guards. I said, Hey, do you guys have an extra mask downstairs? Because I just need to have it in the studio on my way back to the, what if I run into some, uh, a coworker who happens to be here, you know, working the cameras or You're if I run into the, the, the cleaning staff, that's ingrained. Why can't other people feel that way? It's an inconvenience, of course, but I'm looking out for other people. I don't understand that about the president that's and right. I don't understand that
1: about the people in that crowd. What's wrong with him Especially you? the people that he says he loves and he cares about. Uh, you know, a little inside take. Uh, everybody knows who my brother is, the love gov, right? Yeah. So my mother was going to come this weekend. And Andrew says, you know, because we've really been, my sisters, my mother stays uh, with my two sisters because the city's not the right place for her. Yeah. Um, and everywhere she goes, she makes that family a little better. So everybody wants her. But Andrew was like, listen, you know that you got the kids. And they're seeing other kids. And I know you get tested He's right. a lot. He's right. And I know you think you got the antibodies, but we don't know anything don't for know. sure. And yeah. can you guarantee that not only will everybody test negative, because I know that. I get them tested all the time. But that mom won't be exposed. And I can't guarantee it. So? So once again, I'm not, mom's not coming this weekend. I haven't seen her. It's very depressing.
5: I have not seen her at your place But in I don't months.
1: want that on. You know, I can't handle I could never handle that. If well, I, we need to just tell them right my now watch,
5: that we love them. I love both of them, your mom and mom, my mom, more than I love you. I got to go.
1: Well, you should. Of course. (laughs) I love you, D-Lemon. That's the truth. (laughs) You too, brother. I love you uh,
0: more than you know. I'll talk to you later. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that